You know, several years ago, uh, I had an opportunity to go on a fishing trip with an acquaintance from the church that we were on staff with back in Indianapolis before we moved here. Uh, this gentleman who uh, invited me to go fishing with him, he was an ex-Vietnam vet. Uh, he uh, had been in Cambodia, he'd been in Vietnam, he'd been in the tropical jungles and swamps of those places and had lived a pretty hard life through that whole era. Uh, when he got out of Vietnam, he came, uh, he didn't quite fit, like a lot of guys did, through a whole chain of events became a drill sergeant and uh, spent 20 years in the military being a drill sergeant, training recruits and equipping them for uh, military uh, confrontation in various places in the world. Interesting guy, but kind of a, kind of a, of a hard, crusty guy in a lot of ways. When, uh, when I came in contact with him, he had just retired from all of this and was a part of our church, and his wife and his son. And uh, I'd heard a number of his fishing trips. He loved to fish. Of course, he'd spent so much time, you know, in the del deltas, you know, over in Vietnam. I think that was probably part of it. In some ways, he survived on those fish, some of that. He comes home, and he loves to fish. And interesting uh, guy, though, uh, as I said, just a little crusty. One day, he asked me, he said, uh, you want to go fishing with me? Because he was retired and had a little more time than usual. And Friday was my day off, and I thought, you know, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll go with him. I get to know him, and I uh, knew that he and his wife had some challenges. So I thought this would be a good opportunity to just kind of interact with him, get better acquainted. I had no clue what I was in for. You know, the next uh, day before we were scheduled to leave, he calls me and he says, "And I, you got to understand, I hear all of his fishing stories, and they all involve boats. Okay, I'm assuming that." he's got a boat, okay? This is the, the assumption between these two earlobes right here. He calls me, says, hey, can you come pick me up? Uh, because, you know, my car's getting worked on and blah, 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 blah. I, I, can't, I can't drive. So he said, you know, but I still want to go fishing. So he said, so if you'll come pick me up, that'd be great. And I said, okay. Um, but in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, I guess we're not towing the boat. Maybe it's it. Maybe it's it one of the nearby lakes and just in a marina or something. You know, this is what's going through my mind. So I said, okay. He says, come by and get me at 3.30 in the morning. <laughs> this is one of the aspects of fishing that I don't ascribe, subscribe to. I don't like fishing or getting up that early in the morning. But I said, okay. So I show up at his house. And you got to know this guy. He's a former drill sergeant. There is nothing not prompt about this guy. I, he's, he's just very put together and very prompt. So, uh, so I show up, you know, at 329, because that's what you do with this guy. So I show up at 329, he loads in the car. I'm exhausted already, and they haven't even started. This is just early in the morning. We jump in the car, and, and he starts directing me toward the marina, I think. So here we go. We start driving, and we're driving, and we're driving, and I keep thinking, I don't know of any lakes in the area that we've driven to here. I, know, I don't know of anything. And, and now we're, he starts directing me off of pavement. Now we're on gravel roads. Now we've been on gravel roads 20 minutes. All these, and I'm thinking, if something happens to him, I, the pre-GPS, I have no clue how to get out of here. I have no idea where I am. And all of a sudden, he sort of notices this little turn off. So he says, hey, turn right there and park. So I, there's a part of me that's just thankful to park. But at the same time, I know there's no lake here. And, and I dressed to fish in a boat. Okay? So I get out of the car. The sun is just beginning to crack over the horizon. 
and we're in the middle of this cornfields, Indiana cornfields, as far as you can see, and it's late enough in the summer that they're like, they're taller than we are, and I see no water, and so, but he's like feverishly getting things out of the trunk, and we're, next thing I know, he just starts, just starts marching in this direction, and I'm like, I'm still scrambling to get things picked up here. And so I grab my pole and I look at him and he goes through the, through the cornfields like this. <laughs> it's just like, just march, marching like this. And, and, I'm, and I'm slow compared to how fast he was walking that day. And I'm like, I have no clue where I am. And if I lose him, I'm even more lost. So, uh, so I grab my pole and the minnow bucket. I'm left with the, because I'm the private. Okay, so I grab, see this is all going on, I grab the minnow bucket, and I grab my pole, and I'm marching through the cornfields at Mach 3, you know, trying to catch up with him at this point. And the whole time I'm just thinking, come Lord Jesus, come. <laughs> right now would be a really good time. And I'm, just, I'm, I'm exhausted, I haven't started out, I'm frustrated, I'm I can't believe I agreed to go fishing with this guy. What am I thinking? He's in Vietnam in his head, and I'm there with him. <laughs> this, is, this is what's going through my mind. And, and, and in some respects, there's a little truth to that. So we, get to, we just keep marching, and, and it's just like, you know, I'm looking for the River Kwai. You know, just, just looking for the... It, we're, just, we're just marching. And we finally, at one point after, I, we had to go half mile, at least, it, it, it felt like longer, but it, it was forever we marched. We finally, I notice he disappears to the right. So I even speed it up more. I get up to the spot where he is, and I look down like this. I, it's, this is not a gradual grade down to the stream, which we're going to fish in. You know, it's, it's not like this. It's like this. And there's like giant weeds as tall as I am coming up the side. Now, here's the thing. you got to understand. I grew up in Oklahoma. What is Oklahoma known for when you get in places like this? Snakes. Snakes. And they're not friendly snakes. So I'm looking down the hill like this, and I'm just thinking, this is suicide. This is just insane. But he just, I watched him just march down it like this. Just boom, 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 boom. Like nothing. He didn't even break stride. Boom. He just went down. And I thought, um, this is bad. But I thought, I'm going to lose him. Because now he's in water up to his chest. And he's turning this way upstream. And I'm thinking, you know, I guess I could follow him on the shore. But looking along here, it doesn't look any better going down. So I finally, I just go down the hill right there. I get down there. And I step into the water. And now I'm chest deep as well. Again, just thinking I'm going to be swept away and nobody's going to know. I'm wondering if my life insurance is up to date for Lori. I, all the stuff going through your head. And you think I'm exaggerating. Only slightly. <laughs> Only slightly. I am now, you know, and so I stop at this point because I, I don't know what to do. He's, he shows me how to bait the hook a certain way because he's like fishing with minnows. I don't know how to do that. And you kind of put it through and you can turn it and you hide the hook and it makes it weedless. And, and the fish just thinks the minnow's swimming. Stupid fish. So anyway, uh, next thing I know, he turns upstream and he, he casts like this and I cast like this. The first, the first cast, boom, 
had a three-pound smallmouth bass on my line. And I mean, it was just unbelievable. Until the second cast, and I had another, probably two and a half pound, uh, smallmouth bass on my line. And we did this, just making our way up the river. Mind you, we came to a beaver dam that really freaked me out because he just like marched through the beaver dam like it wasn't even there. And of course, again, I'm thinking water moccasins. I'm thinking all kinds, you know, this is what you get in Oklahoma. And, but he just marched up it and I thought, okay, well, if Jesus, here I come. And I just marched <laughs> right up the thing just like he did, just did exactly what he did and, and followed him. And, uh, but we caught fish that day like I have never caught fish before or since. It was unbelievable. I mean, literally, you just, and, and you, I know why now. I've, I've fished enough now, I understand why. <laughs> Nobody in their right mind would ever go there to fish. <laughs> so these fish didn't know anything about humanity. No clue, no clue. So they're stupid fish because we've never been there before. Now I know. But it was an amazing experience. And I've thought about that over and over uh, on many levels. One, because sometimes life isn't exactly what you think it is. But also, I've just thought, I've just thought, man, that was an amazing experience to catch the fish. And believe it or not, I live to tell about it. I guess I can endure a few things that maybe I didn't think I could, as we all can. But here's the point. You know, it was as memorable an adventure as it was. When you look at Scripture, it's clear that Jesus considers his kingdom to be a fishing expedition. Sometimes that fishing expedition involves some things that we don't expect. Sometimes it stretches us in ways that maybe we wouldn't anticipate. Um, but the end result is if we will follow his lead, he wants all of us to catch fish. And we will catch fish. We just have to listen to him. We just have to follow his lead because he knows where he's going. He knows where the fish are. And if we'll just trust him and follow his spirit, God will help us catch fish. And this morning, I want to draw your attention to some of this. If you have your Bible with you, open it to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. We're going to start at verse 47. This is one of the many parables that Jesus tells in Matthew 13. They're fantastic parables that describe aspects of the kingdom of heaven, what it's like and what, uh, what we should expect and how the kingdom works. And this particular parable describes all about fishing here, and I just want to share it with you this morning. I want us to reflect on it together. If you've made it there, Matthew 13, we're going to start at verse 47. This is what Jesus says. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a fishing net that was thrown into the water and caught fish of every kind. And when the net was full... They dragged it up onto the shore, sat down, and sorted the good fish into crates, but threw the bad ones away. That's the way it will be at the end of the world, Jesus says. The angels will come and separate the wicked people from the righteous, throwing the wicked into the fiery furnace, where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus looks at his disciples, asks an interesting question, verse 51. He says, do you understand all these things? And yes, they said, we do. Now, in these verses, Jesus reveals the primary focus of God's kingdom then, now, and what it will be at the time when he comes again. I mean, the kingdom of heaven is one giant commercial 
fishing operation, you might say, from God's perspective. That was true for the disciples then, the disciples now. We are the fishermen, those who don't know Jesus, those that understand the sacrifice that he made, that he made on their behalf. They are the fish. And this was not a new idea to the disciples of Jesus then, any more than really it is to us now. I mean, if you understand the, the, the story of Peter and Andrew, James and John, and their initial calling to, by Jesus to follow him, he made this really clear in Matthew 4. Jesus uh, first called them as commercial fishermen. He says, one day, the Bible says, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Translation, they're commercial fishermen. They know their, they know their way around fishermen. It's how they make their living. Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed. And if you read the verses of follow, you find out that James and John were in a boat with their dad, and he called them to follow him. And they dropped everything and followed him as well. The point that Jesus was trying to get across, God wants us to understand as well, is that the father's family business is not commercial fishing, it's fishing for people. It's fishing for men and women and children who are hopeless, who are wandering, who need a shepherd, who need rescue, who need a word from God, need a reason for life, need to understand that there's more than all of this. It's a commercial fishing venture of a spiritual nature. Every one of us is called by Jesus to actively engage in our Heavenly Father's business. No exceptions. Oh yes, some say, it's a spirit, some of us have a spiritual gift more naturally inclined this way. Yes, there's a spiritual gift. But on some level, it's not about giftedness. It's about the call of Jesus for all of us to be engaged in the fishing venture here. And in Matthew 13, Jesus subtly reveals how we're to go about doing that and why we need to actively engage in fishing for people. He, he talks about how in, a, in sort of a subtle way in the text. Uh, there, what you find is that fishing in Jesus' day was done with a net. I mean, it's the kingdom of heaven is like somebody cast a net to catch the fish, right? As the text says. It, fishing in his day was with a net. From a boat, you know, you've seen these kinds of things. They would, theirs was a little different, but you've seen the hoop nets, probably some of you before. They put lead on the bottom. It's a big circle. You got a, a rope on the end of it, and you hurl it out into the water over fish. It sinks because there are lead weights on the end of it. It wraps around the fish, and when you pull the string, it closes underneath the fish, and now you have the fish. This is the way it worked in Jesus' day, and still works in many instances in our day, just larger versions of the same thing. To fish like that and actually catch anything, or might I say to even fish with a rod and reel and actually catch anything. One primary thing has to be kept in mind. You've got to go where the fish are. My friend back in Indiana, he understood where the fish were. I did not. I mean, he knew what it was going to take to get there. He was willing to pay the price a little more so than I at that phase. 
And so he led me, and because I followed him, we caught fish like we never caught fish before. Proximity is critical to success when it comes to fishing. If the fish aren't there, I mean, think about this. How many of you wish you could always fish with a fish finder? Come on. I mean, if you're going to fish, you'd love to have a fish finder, right? To know that they're there. Then at least you can be annoyed that they're not biting your hook. You see, but if you, if you don't, if I, I grew up, one of the reasons I was frustrated about fishing most of the time as a kid is because my mom, I love my mom to death, but she loved to go fish and she would throw a line in the water and it would sit on the bottom. And three weeks later, we would... <laughs> When no fish had bitten the line, you know, we would, uh, we would reel it in to see if it had bait still. And then we'd put more bait on it because some fish took it two weeks earlier. You know, she didn't want to move. She didn't want to move. She wanted to fish right there because she was always in her mind fishing for catfish. This was, this was her worldview when it came to fishing. And that was just discouraging to me. But I learned to appreciate the value of there must be fish there or else you're just wasting your time. So, so what do you do? How do you fish? Shouldn't surprise us that when coaching his followers on how to successfully fish for men and women, Jesus says this to them in Matthew 28, verse 19. He says, go, go. And make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. What's he saying? Jesus doesn't tell his disciples who, he initially invites them to come to him. But then he turns around and he says, now I want you to go. And what's he saying go for? Because he wants us to go get in proximity to the fish. Because he understands that if we're just like, let's use this as an illustration if all we're doing is sharing our faith right here, for example, just say, most of you know Jesus. Most of you have already been caught. You're already in the family. Some of you I know may be struggling a little bit trying to figure this whole spirituality thing out. But I know many of you are. And here's the thing. If all we do is, is like hang out right here and talk about our faith here, there ain't no fishing going on. There's no fish caught. We've got to get in proximity to the fish. Jesus says, go and make disciples of all the nations. He even just points its, you know, just think of every nation on the planet, every people group, every, every place that fish gather. And my question is, are you actively going? Everywhere you go, do you have eyes for people who are wandering and in need of rescue, in need of Jesus? Do you think that way when you go to work? Do you think that way when you're walking around in a store? Do you think that way when you're at activities with your kids or your grandkids? Do you think that way when you're engaging in your hobby or some area of interest on your party? You're just thinking about other people who share that. Are you, are you sensitive to the fact that when we leave this place, there are fish everywhere? Fish everywhere. And God's calling us to actively engage in the family business of fishing for people. I'd say, if you think to yourself, 
I can't really think of any place in my life where there aren't people who are already convinced. I, the only, only place I can think of where people aren't convinced is on TV. I watch the news, and it's apparent to me that there are many people in our world who are clueless, spiritually speaking. If that's you, you and I need to turn the TV off, and we need to rearrange our schedule so that we are in proximity to where some fish who need Jesus congregate. If that's you, will you rethink your schedule? I mean, Jesus is saying to his disciples, this is not the great suggestion right here. Go and make disciples. This is the great commission. This is what Jesus, some of his parting words before he ascended to heaven, because he wants us to understand that actively engaging in fishing for the hearts and lives and souls and minds of men and women is a big, big deal. And he tells us why in this particular passage. Look in Matthew 13, verse 47, in following. Just look at these same verses again. Jesus says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a fishing net was that was thrown into the water and caught fish of every kind. And when the net was full, okay, when the net was full, they dragged it up onto the shore, sat down and sorted the good fish into crates, but threw the bad ones away. He says, that is the way it will be. Say it out loud with me. At the end of the world. I just want you to see, I'm not making this stuff up. This is what Jesus says. It's going to be like this at the end of the world. The angels will come and separate the wicked people from the righteous, throwing the wicked into the fiery furnace where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And he says, do you understand all these things? Yes, they said, we do. Jesus just wants us to understand that we need to actively engage in the family business because God's fishing expedition is soon coming to an end. It's, it's not going to go on forever, the fishing part of this. It's one of the things that you won't be able to do in heaven. A whole lot of other things you'll be able to do in heaven. You'll be able to vacation. You'll probably be able to fish for fish, but not the souls of men. You'll be able to admire mountains. You'll be able to admire the solar system if you like to stargaze. You'll be able to sit and visit with people that you know and love and that you're dear to you. You'll be able to do all. I mean, if you enjoy building things, think about it. Who created the world we live in now? And he set Adam and Eve in the garden and he gave them the assignment of tending this spectacular garden. Do you suppose we're just going to sit around with harps in heaven? Duh! God is not boring. We can be boring. God is not. I mean, there will be, there are so many things you'll be able to do in heaven that you like to do now. Boat, swim, eat. One thing you and I will not be able to do in heaven is fish for people. That, that has an end to it. And it's the end of the world. When the net is full, God's angels are going to sort the catch. There'll be keepers 
and cast-offs. And just as every fish is not a keeper from God's perspective, not every person is a keeper. It's all about, do you know Jesus? It is about who you know. And Jesus makes it really clear in the text that there are two destinations. There's heaven. He makes that clear. But then the other one, he doesn't name it. He, he does this in several places in the New Testament. He doesn't name hell, but what he does is he describes it as a fiery furnace, a, a place of weeping, a place of gnashing of teeth. And most of us in our generation, we don't like to think about that. We don't, we don't like to think about the fact that we gnash our teeth when there's intense pain, when there's anger that's inside of us that's intense or that we feel it or sort of grit our teeth when there's profound regret for some reason in our lives. And, but Jesus paints this picture of a fiery furnace where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And he describes it in part because Jesus wants us to understand that, that hell's not a place to go. You, you, you hear people sometimes joke and say, oh, I'll meet you in hell, like, you know, particularly the calloused folks who kind of joke around that way, and you've heard them. No, you don't, want, you don't want that. You don't want that. Truth is, Jesus doesn't want that for anyone when the end comes. And here's what you've got to understand. Hell must be really bad if Jesus would endure what he endured. Think about the abuse he endured. A crown of thorns shoved into his forehead, beaten onto his head with a rod. Not fun. Hands and nails, na hands and feet nailed to a cross with spikes like this. Beaten almost beyond recognition, the scriptures tell us. If Jesus could have just given a wink and nod and it been okay for everybody, he would have done it. But he endured this because hell is real and it's really bad. Nobody wants to go there, and he suffered excruciatingly so that nobody would have to if his followers would just fish. If they'd just go to the nations, calling people to be his disciples, at least people would have a chance. Jesus wants every one of us engaged in the family business. He wants us to live with the end in mind. He wants us to remember that there are more important things than making money and youth athletics and personal hobbies and reality TV shows and sitcoms and news channels and on and on, you know, Facebook. And there are people who need forgiveness and hope and peace, people who need a future, people who need Jesus are we willing to get out of our comfort zone and fish? I can't help but talk about all this and feel like there could be somebody here this morning, some of you this morning, who maybe you've come and the truth of the matter is, I mean, you're thinking to yourself, I need forgiveness. I need hope. I need peace. I need a future. 
I need Jesus. The thing you have to understand, this is not a complex thing. Jesus made it easy. We've sometimes made it difficult. Think of how we do fishing nowadays. I've been, I, I recently bought a fishing kayak, so I kind of have fishing on the brain a little bit. You can ask my wife about it, pray for her. But I, I've just been thinking about how all the, I've been reading and just all the different things that we do to catch fish. You know, you can buy this kind of lure and you know, there's top, I mean, all the different lures, all the colors of plastic worms that you can buy, all, on and on and on. The things that we will do to catch fish is just, it, it's astonishing the amount of effort. And often as I've been going through this exercise of trying to adopt a little more of a fishing orientation, to think like fish think, and to try to catch them more regularly than has been my history. Um, I just keep thinking about the fact that as complex as this is, fishing for Christ is really quite simple from his perspective. It's really about you and me just humbling ourselves and looking heavenward and just saying, Lord Jesus, I want to be caught. I want you. I humble myself before you. Forgive me, cleanse me, make me yours. This is not rocket science. You don't have to have a giant intellect to figure this out. In fact, the irony of it all is the more we think about it, sometimes we overthink the and just miss the simplicity of it that really it's just about humbling ourselves before Jesus and inviting him in. Have you humbled yourself and invited him in? It is interesting that, that receiving Jesus has a biblical picture with it that involves water. And you think of this whole fishing analogy. I mean, baptism, is, is the idea of it is you're immersed in water identifying with his death, burial, and, and then we'd come up, it's you're identifying with his resurrection. It, it, is it not interesting that fish and water, and we're called to become fish, and we go into water immersed, and it, it's just interesting. But here's my question for you. Will you humble yourself before him? If you've never demonstrated your faith in baptism, faith in Jesus by being baptized. There's no faith in baptism. It's faith in Jesus by being baptized. Will you, will you do that? Will you demonstrate your faith in him? Now, I want to close this morning by showing you a picture that I first saw many years ago as a kid. It, um, before you put it up. It was, it was kind of uh, one of many things that were influential in my heart about going into ministry. I had an opportunity to be at a full-ride scholarship for engineering school, Oklahoma State University. I could have gone full-ride if I'd wanted to, a number of things I could have done. But I felt like God wanted me to go into ministry and uh, felt like it was the highest and best use of whatever gifts that I had. And I would encourage you, if you're a young person trying to figure out what do you do with your life, you ask God, what is the highest and best use of the gifts that God has given you? And you let him figure, help you figure that out, and then you do that. The highest and best use might not pay you the most money, 
but money's only going to be an issue for you for about 70 years. <laughs> at which point, it ceases to matter at all. And there's a high likelihood that if the government defaults one of these days, it'll cease to be an issue even sooner than that. And I could go on with that, with that diatribe, but I won't for all of our sake. But what I would say is that figure out what is the highest and best use of, your life, of the gifts that God's given you. Do that with the leading of the Holy Spirit, and you will never regret the choice. But here's the point. Here's the point where I was going with this. Um, during this window, as I was trying to figure this out, I, I remember seeing this picture. And uh, you, it's a picture that was uh, put out by a fellow named years ago, Keith Green. He's passed away many years ago. He's died in a plane accident. And, um, but he had a song that's just entitled, Can You See? And I just ask you, can you see what's going on in that picture? I mean, you get these turbulent waves, and there are people, people, some of them drowning out there in the waves. Some of them reaching up, wishing that they could get help. And off to the left, you got a guy in a little, uh, little lifeboat, a little dinghy, trying to pull people up into the boat. Guy off to the right throwing a life ring out trying to help somebody. Somebody on the platform there, that kind of stage, reaching down, trying to help somebody. But you got a whole bunch of people just singing and playing instruments and talking to each other. One guy off to the left there fishing, got his fishing rod. Here's the point. This is, this is what God sees day in and day out. And he's calling every one of us to actively engage in fishing for people because there are people with profound needs all around us. And we can focus on how to preserve the status quo in our world or how our government ought to be this or that or... We can focus on making money or we can focus on retiring comfortably and taking trips and buying clothes and we can focus on our grandkids and we can focus on our kids. We, on and on. We, we have the capacity. God's given us the freedom to focus on whatever we want to focus on. But the appeal of Jesus is focus on this. Focus on people who are out in the waves, who are lost, who are, who are drowning and if you and I reach out, they have a chance. They have a chance if they'll humble themselves just as you have. The picture sort of tormented me for those years of my life, and now I just still kind of emotional about it. But will you engage fully is really what this is about. Will you engage fully in the family business of reaching out? Will you do that? I think it's significant that Jesus ends this little teaching segment here, this verse 51, at least this passage, with asking the question, do you understand all these things? What the disciples say, Yes, we do. 
friends, if the return of Jesus is getting close, it's closer than it's been. Fair enough? I can't help but think that the Holy Spirit is looking at you and me this morning through this text and saying, do you understand all these things? And the fact that you and I are here is an implicit, implied statement of we do, we do. Because there's a world out there that has no clue Because you understand, will you fish for people who need Jesus, who need hope, who need a chance? Part of that's just you being honest about your faith and not being a coward about it. Part of that is you inviting people here. Part of that is you inviting them to your small group. Part of that may be inviting them to lunch just building a relationship so that sometime along the way when it's the right time you can share a verbal witness of who he is and the difference he's made in your life and then you have you can just help to bring them along and just sort of reel them in where there's safety and hope and life it's God's plan for us let's stand together we're going to close in prayer this morning Maybe you need to commit yourself to that. Um, it's a good opportunity as we pray this morning. Maybe this morning, I mean, you just need to pray with somebody and you're just from your heart, you're crying out to Jesus for forgiveness and hope and help. You know, we can help you with that. Love to pray with you about that. But let's, uh, let's engage in the family business this week, okay? And make it the rest of our lives kind of endeavor. Let's bow our heads and pray and we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful that you have loved us and that when you looked at what hell was going to be like for the devil and his angels, which was what you created it for, you desired that no one would go there that you created. You don't want us to go there. So you endured and suffered as you did that we might have a chance. We would humble ourselves before you if we would give up the rebellion against you, which the evil one has engaged himself in. And Father, this morning, we just want to raise the white flag in our spirits. We just raise the white flag and we acknowledge that you are God, you are king. We want you to be Lord of our lives. We want our lives to be oriented around your purposes. We want, we want the highest and best use of the one and only life that you've given us be invested in wherever we go people being introduced to you maybe it's in subtle ways maybe it's in, in very visible ways whatever you want Lord that's what we want just ask that you would help us we pray Father for our culture our community our world our, our children and we just recognize God that there's a world ticking right along just at mock speed ways often that are contrary to yours and all the while you're calling and often people aren't listening help us to join you in calling out to people to, 
pleading with him to come to you to find hope and help and peace and joy and love that they don't understand is available. Would you disturb us with pictures like we've seen? This Keith Green picture, would you disturb us with the things we hear and not allow us to be content? And Father, just as you gave me the opportunity to catch more fish than I ever imagined on that little excursion with uh, my friend back in Indiana, I ask God that you would help us to catch more fish, every one of us and collectively, than we could ever have imagined. By the power of your spirit and for the benefit of the people we come in contact with. Lord, would you go with us as we leave this place? Would these things echo in our minds? Would they begin to flow out of us everywhere we go? That the world might have, uh, have hope, which can only be found in you. Thank you, God, for your grace. May your blessing rest on every one of us. May your spirit lead us to go everywhere you'd wish for us to go. It's in Jesus' name we lift this prayer.